Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lane Marie and Nathan Bear. We're doing Monday Madness which means at the end of this, we'll do some what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit. Our national thing is going to be actually a, still about the Big Ten. But we have to save this for a future show because on the most on, – on last week on the College Football Survivor Show, Shahanja Hiraja and I did our playoff picks for the fall. It's like, hey, it's March. Let's watch our thinking evolve. Where are we right now? before spring football really gets rolling. And my picks for the playoff have we need to talk about on here. I'm not going to give them away. You can go listen to the College Football Survivor Show, but it leads us towards something we need to talk about on here. But something that did come up on there, Nathan, was that Shahan at the end was like, what about Penn State? So I want to talk about the third best team in the Big Ten and who we think that might be in 2023, as we assume that Ohio State and Michigan will continue to be very good football teams as they both made the playoff last year. So we're going to get to that in a bit. But we're going to start with something that you asked about and wrote about and noticed and thought about. And it is the 2024 NFL Combine and how many Ohio State Buckeyes might be there. And that discussion is a way to have a different discussion, which is Man, Ohio State might have a bunch of good football players this year. But Nathan, you think, and you wrote this, maybe historic, Ohio State and the 2024 NFL Combine. Yeah, and I couldn't actually find the, there's not like there's one site that like has the most invites per team ever. The most I could find was LSU having 16 in 2020. But I, I had started to kind of tally them up and I sent this sent the list to you and was like, does this look right to you? And you're like, well, a couple of these guys are stretches. But I don't think you have to stretch very far to think there are 18 guys with like a really good shot. I mean, some of them are no-brainer obvious. They'll be there. And some that have a really good shot to get invited to the combine. And so that could be the most that any team has ever had invited to the combine. Um, Ohio state has had 14 on a couple of occasions. The, that was 2021 and 2016, which we believe is a high water mark for Ohio state, at least certainly from this, this most recent vintage. And what's interesting about that, I think, and this maybe leads into a, a, an interesting larger discussion 
or a different one than the one you're thinking of. But both of those times, it was like right after it came out of either national championships or national championship game appearances in 2019, they get to the playoff 2020, they get to the national championship game and then they have the big hall 2016. They'd won it in 2014, didn't get back there in 2015, but that was still that group of guys who were going off to the NFL. So now it's a matter of does this, which, which does 2023, which does the 2023 season more resemble before they have another mass exodus of guys off to the combine? So I don't know. This almost leads me to believe, you know, should should somebody out there, I don't know if it'd be us, but do a do a podcast or multiple podcasts about could this Ohio State team maybe be one of the great teams in college football history? That might be something to explore when you're talking about breaking combine records. But what this becomes, Nathan, is a discussion about depth of talent. And depth of talent, combine's nice. But, you know, our Buckeye Talk listeners here, They care about the Ohio State team winning while they're here. Do you think this speaks to something there? And then, well, let's let's start there. Do you think this speaks to something that there will be a championship level depth of talent that we could see the results of that in the way the Buckeyes play in the fall? Potentially, yes, because I think it matters which of these guys go. In some ways, because I think depth of talent is important. But as we've talked about in so many ways on here, especially in recruiting discussions, I think you can't you have to spread it out to the right positions. And one big weakness of this team is that nobody's talking about them sending any kind of offensive tackle to the combine next year. I think it would have to take a huge leap from someone like Josh Fryer to be in the conversation to go to the NFL scouting combine this time next year. But. If Kyle McCord hits, has like an amazing Heisman Trophy contender season, just as Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud did before him and Dwayne Haskins in their first season of starters with Ryan Day, then then I think he could be there. Obviously, we know about the receivers. If these defensive ends, uh, the, the edge rushers hit in a big way, and I think they don't even ever have to hit in a big way. I think J.T. Tuamaloao and Jack Sawyer are probably both NFL Combine guys next year, assuming Sawyer especially decides to come out. But you start to see it where it's happening at the right positions. And then especially at cornerback, where you've got both Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock, and then even someone like Lathan Ransom helping in the secondary. Like if those guys hit and are seen as like clear NFL prospects, and Ransom will be a fourth year guy, so maybe he'd be going anyway. But if those, especially those third year guys, if they hit in a big way and are off to the NFL, you start to see the prospects breaking through at the right positions. It's not just that they would be potentially sending three receivers off to the NFL. Um, we saw in 2022's NFL, I mean, you you had Chris Olave going to the NFL, you had Garrett Wilson going to the NFL, but you didn't even have them with Ohio State at the end of the season because they were not going to the playoff. And I think you've got to make sure that that talent, that impact talent is distributed at the right positions. And I think that's, if you're an Ohio State fan, you might look at this uh, at a glance and say, man, that is a lot of talent to potentially lose in one year. But if you start to then actually count it up, what some of those guys would have to do in order to really make the jump next year, then or for it to maybe be the most prudent decision, they could decide to go regardless. But if if they're making the right decision, it's coming off of kind of breakthrough years for them, big years for them at really critical positions. And that's the things that would be most important for Ohio State to be making another national championship push. So uh, I, I want to talk about now sort of how this happened. The 
Because there's a couple of things. There's ways this happens, right? When you talk about depth of talent, when you talk about NFL level talent. And one primarily is what you just brought up, which is your third year guys. You have a good, strong third year class. And that is how that drives championship teams. That is what we saw with, again, you try to peg, often you peg stuff through a third year class. The Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Von Bell class won a national championship in year two, didn't repeat in year three, but like you would have pegged them for 2015. 2019, right? 2019 is, hey, that's the the rising up of the, the Chase Young, uh, Jeff Okuda, that kind of class, right? Of that was, you saw that coming and in year three, it popped. Do we think, potentially, Nathan, that this year three class for Ohio State, the class of 2021 that was ranked number two in the country, can be that kind of class. And this is a this is a discussion. Listen, we're using Nathan's combine discovery here to enlarge this discussion a little bit. But do you think this can be that kind of third year class? Because if the combine thing's going to happen, there's going to be a lot of guys in year three that pop and go early that are on a three-year plan at Ohio mm-hmm. State. But if they're going to do that, that's going to mean that year three has to be really good. Should we think about this 2021 recruiting class in this way? And I guess, I think I, people know I was joking before, this is why we did multiple podcasts about whether 2023 Ohio State can be one of the great college football teams of all time because when this 2020 recruiting 2021 recruiting class came to Ohio State, we looked at it and said, yes. We think this, we're pegging it to year three. Where are we now in that evolution now that year three is here? Well, I think, yes, you. we still can potentially think of it. It's just going to matter whether the breakthroughs that happen, again, at those key positions I was talking about, which I think is, again, the thing that at the time, that's why we talked about it the way we did, right? It wasn't just that they had a really strong class. It was that they had a five-star quarterback. They had five-star awesome guys at the skill positions. They had edge rushers who we thought were going to come in and and just wreck things. And the cornerbacks actually, that got a little bit weird with Denzel Burke jumping in first and being the first guy in that group to kind of break through. But now like if the Jordan Hancock thing happens, so it, yes, it on paper, it's there. It's just a matter of whether all of those things overcome the things that we still talked about at that, on those podcasts, we're like, Ooh, who's going to play tackle for this team? Like, is this a thing? And it's still hanging out there a little bit. And and on top of that, it's not just a matter of, I think what you would have said about, because uh, I remember talking to you coming into that 2019 season. We had this, um, we had a, a meeting at a Hampton Inn in Dublin, like the night before my first day of work, you like dropped off my computer stuff and you're kind of taking me down the roster. And you guys already knew, everybody already knew, like Chase Young was Chase Young. And Jeff Okuda was like, okay, like this guy's the real deal. Like he's, this is a thing. He's going to go, he's going to be one of the best in the country. Like they just got Justin Fields in. That wasn't the same class, but like you already knew how good that team was probably going to be, even though you were also nine and three Doug, but you saw from an NFL talent standpoint that there were guys who were already on the trajectory that would have made them high NFL draft picks. And that's true in the case of Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka right now. It's probably true of JT Tuamaloao, and I think Jack Sawyer physically would maybe also be in that mix. But I don't. It's not true today of those cornerbacks. It's not true today of even Lathan Ransom. It's not true today, probably even of Trevion Henderson, just because of some of the injury concerns that he's had. And if he can't stay on the field this season, I don't know that he's a upper round. Maybe even you know he's going to be maybe tough to be in the day two conversation. Like we just saw a lot of really really good running backs in this draft 
in April, see how many really good running backs are going in like the fourth and fifth round of this draft that's about to happen. So I think it's a matter – it's not as on deck as it was going into 2019, I think. I think there's still – I think they're just – that. It's the potential is is there. It's just we haven't quite seen enough breakthroughs from enough guys and enough positions to where you go into this year with the same certainty of a potentially like dominant team. I think people believe this running back class in the 2023 NFL draft is really good. I don't know what that means for the 2024 NFL draft. So let's play a game in service of let's play a game in service of let's make this market down Monday. Mark it down Monday madness. And so it's just the two of us. So we'll have to come to a consensus on this. I don't want us to come up with two different numbers. We're going to come up with a Buckeye talk number. And we'll make our prediction now of how many players Ohio State will have at the 2024 NFL Combine. 2024 NFL Combine still in Indy. I think 2025 maybe is back when it might be up again and it could potentially move. Eight Buckeyes there this past week. When Nathan, you and I were there, eight was a low number. That was like tied for sixth or something among the most players there for any team. So eight's a little bit low. And there's a there's another side of this of why they might have so many next year. But that we'll get to that in a second because I'm going to start with the class of 2021. I'm going to start with guys who will be in their third years at Ohio State. And we're going to right now guess, are they going to pop and go three years and out? And let's start with JT Tuimoloau. Do we believe this is his last year at Ohio State and he will be at the Combine next year? Yes. I agree with that. I I just think he's a five-star guy who he's been – he's on track. And and there's a lot of these guys talking to Paris Johnson at the Combine. It's like, did you know you had a three-year plan? He's like, yeah, I knew I had a three-year plan. And I think JT would be on that track. He has not been derailed. His talent has shown. I think his talent can show and will show to a greater – degree and with more consistency but i think he's on track nathan yeah and again i i can't remember what story was where someone said to me recently the old scouting adage of if you do it once you can do it again And i think there are a lot of teams that took note of what he did against penn state last year and say how do we get him uh, ohio state too you get him to try to replicate that sort of uh disruption repeatedly and not that it's going to be at that level but just that you've seen that that mix of skills forced on an opponent in one game I just think that that is an eye-opener um, you don't need a lot of film like that to have an NFL team with 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 all of the other athletic things he has going for him for an NFL team to value him very very highly okay and again the reason class of 2021 14 guys among the top 100 recruits in the nation in the class of 2021 for Ohio State. One of them was Quinn Ewers, who was number one, so he's gone. But that's still 13 guys who are here. So that's why we're doing this. Okay, Jack Sawyer. JT was the number four recruit in that class. Jack Sawyer was number five. Do we think Jack Sawyer is three and out? I'm inclined to say yes. So I'm inclined to say no, because as we discussed on a podcast last week, I feel like this past season was sort of a lost year for him. And I can see maybe the idea of, okay, now I've had my hand down as a full-time rush end as a junior, but I think I can enhance my draft stock. Because the reason you come back is because you think you can enhance it. Yes, it factors in I want to win and I love my teammates. I love college. All those things matter. But if you think you've peaked as a draft prospect, it's hard to stay. I could see, Nathan, a world where Jack Sawyer does not peak as a draft prospect. 
2023. Zach Harrison stayed, right? I th- Zach Harrison certainly could have gone after three years. He stayed, played a fourth year. I don't know if he greatly enhanced his draft prospects. He certainly didn't hurt his draft prospects. And he got to play in the playoff, right? Which was, I mean, he had done that two years earlier too, but I'm not auto... I'm not automatically out the door for Sawyer. I'm a little bit on the fence, but I'm somewhat strongly falling on the side of no, he stays for year four. Are you at least on the fence? Yeah, I actually, this is one of those cases where I don't think we're that far apart. We can actually, we can reach across the fence and touch each other here. Not that we'd want to. Um, That's why we built the fence in the first place. Let's be honest. (laughs) It's more of a wall. It's more of a wall. It's a soundproof wall. It is. We could... (laughs) Yeah, it, with, right. That you can't hear side. podcasts shouting on your side of the wall. It was yeah. like mattresses nailed. I can to hear you. Life. I can hear you cooking, and I can smell <laughs> you cooking things on your side of the wall. I did. I like ran. Right, yeah. I like ran an exhaust thing that like it, it, just to get the sense out into your side of the, the wall. But I don't want you to actually come through. Um, I, I I I think I'm right with you. I'm just leaning more towards the side of um, edge rushers. The value is is they're so coveted. And that if he, because last year was kind of a lost year for him, it was also just a year where his snaps were a little bit minimized. So I think if you can, if you envision a world where like putting him back at rush end, taking the Jack stuff off the table, letting him just be a hand on the ground rush end again, gives you the best version of him. He has a third year breakthrough and then the snaps that go along with it and the production that goes along with it. I think it's pretty easy to see how that all culminates in him being uh, getting the advice that it's time to go just because he'll be so highly ranked. And I think, I mean, just look at the guy. I mean, I think he'll be a good combine specimen too. So I'll give you the first edge here. So we're kind of split, but close. I'll give, what are we deciding? Go or stay? It sounds like you're actually more firm that he would stay than I am that he would go though. So maybe we should lean stay. Uh, okay. All right. That's lean stay for now. Let's lean stay for now because and I think in the end, we don't want to all lean stay or all lean go for the guys on the fence. We want to kind of split that so we can maybe adjust it later. Okay, so Jack Sawyer, number five recruit in the class of 2021. We're going to say stay. Emeka Ibuka is number 10 recruit. Nathan, what's Emeka? I think he's gone. I think he's going to be a first round NFL draft pick next year. I think I agree with that. So I don't think there's a huge conversation there. He's a very good football player. Donovan Jackson, number 19 recruit. I think this is a similar to a Luke Whipler conversation. This guy would be a second year starter on the interior offensive line for Ohio State. I think we all expect for him to have a good year. I think he was good last year, maybe wore down a little bit late, which is not a huge surprise for a, a younger guy mm-hmm. starting for the first time. But this is a guy that Kevin Wilson has talked about as physically having all the skills that maybe the second best offensive lineman he'd seen in college behind Trent Williams. This is a high level dude, Nathan. It's kind of hard to imagine him sticking around for year four. That's really what it comes down to for me is that sort of athletic profile that he has. Number one, because it's always just on the verge of breaking out in a real way here and and us getting to see him play at an even higher level than he did last year. But then number two, just how NFL teams will covet that. And and the value that they'll see in maybe taking a guy who's a little bit younger and he's not a finished product, but look at what you've got to work with here. What can he be three years down the line after he's been in an NFL system? So I just think that this has been – it, it's also one of those guys who you think probably came here 
realistically with a three-year timeline. And I'll say, as far as like second-year guys starting on this offensive line, when you look back over recent history, like Harry Miller had issues in his second year. We've talked before about how guys like Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis didn't really happen until, I guess, maybe the end of his second year, but they didn't like blow the doors off or even maybe get a big opportunity as second year guys. And I thought Jackson maybe has had, other than maybe Paris Johnson, Jackson has, has fared the best of those second year guys of recent. So I think that tells you what could be on deck for him now in a third year. I think that makes sense. And again, being able to enhance himself in 24, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. So I think Donovan Jackson probably goes. Travion Henderson's next, Nathan. What's your vibe on Travion? Mixed. I don't know what. <laughs> this is one of the harder ones to like peg down right now. Because if, another guy who it would you would think would maybe have come here on a three-year plan. But because last year was so iffy with the injury, you I, I just don't know yet if he'll have the opportunity to really maximize himself as a draft prospect. And he's also got the the Mayan Williams thing there, which it it's not that it I don't think he minds splitting the carries. I really don't. That's been his mindset, I think, from the beginning. So I don't think it's a matter of him being bummed about a timeshare. It's just a matter of do you really get to showcase yourself as being a guy who can play at that next level. So I my inclination is that he might just have already always thought about this as three and done. And if he's never going to be a day one draft pick or even second day draft pick, if that's going to be a reach for him, which is odd to talk about that the way we talked about him coming in, obviously. But if he starts to think that's tra- the trajectory, then maybe it makes sense to just leave after this third year. I'm not sure how I'm picking yet. I think I would lean go on Trey. Yeah. I think running the hits you take as a running back, I think assuming he can stay healthy this year, I think we'll see a better version of Travion Henderson. And we've been talking about Georgia a lot with the sort of the running back timeshare. The last year's draft after Georgia won its first title, James Cook was a running back who hit the draft. He was the number 63 overall pick in the second round. And Zamir White, was another Georgia running back who hit the draft. He was the number one in 122 overall pick in the fourth round. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot. You know, we've talked about this already, that the, the way Georgia uses not even just two, but three running backs sometimes. Everybody gets enough to eat. Everybody keeps the hits off their body. Everybody gets enough film to show what you can be as an NFL draft pick. We'll get to mine in a second when we do his class. But that might be... I don't know. Maybe that's a scooch optimistic to have a, a late second rounder and well, a fourth rounder for two Ohio State running backs. But also maybe it's not. Maybe that's exactly what we could be talking about in a year if Travion and Mayan both go to the draft and both got to carry the ball for Ohio State. I think that I don't think it's too optimistic, but I think it is maybe the ceiling of what we'd be talking about. Like if it went really, really well, if they, they both came back healthy and had the kind of season they could have, I now think of Trevon Henderson as being like, that might be his draft ceiling. Because we're seeing right now, like someone like, yeah. like Bijan Robinson, who is thought of as like this monster. I saw Daniel Jeremiah put out his revised top 50 after the combine. He has Bijan Robinson as the third best prospect in this draft. Now he's not going to go that high. He's going to go in the teens probably, because as he explained, if you're a terrible team, you can't pick a running back early because you're wasting the best you're wasting all these carries the best prime years of their career on teams that are going nowhere. And so he's going to fall and and someone's going to get a really good value 
but I could see, and, and I don't think Trevor Henderson, based on what we've seen through two years, I can't call him that level of talent. So now I think you are talking about someone in that J.K. Dobbins-ish range going in more like the second round. And we thought he was actually underdrafted. So maybe that's not the best example. But I think if everything goes right and he comes back and, and, and returns to freshman form and maybe gets a little bit better, I think like a second round situation for him and maybe only a fourth round situation for Mayan, which isn't really a slight if you look at how running backs are drafted right now in the NFL. I think that would still be a really solid outcome for his career. I just don't know that people still see the same athletic total package upside that they might with Trayvon Williams, but Anderson, I mean, so I'm, I'm, are we're comfortable putting Trey as a go. I, a I would lean, I would lean go. Yes. I think you make a yeah. good point. About I don't think it's a tread on the tires. I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I think it's a lean. Okay. Kyle McCord. I have no idea. Yeah. And I don't know how we can make an educated guess here. He's not guaranteed to win the job. If he does win the job, he's not guaranteed to be lights out to the extent that it's like, you got to go. But also, he might. <laughs> also, so, all the other starters for Ohio State at quarterback have gone on and been first-round picks. Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, and certainly C.J. Stroud's going to be that. C.J. started two years. Justin started two years. But Dwayne only started one year. And so Dwayne, pop, go. Distributor, go. Like, I think there's a Kyle McCord, Dwayne Haskins model that at least is in play here, not in style of play necessarily, but in terms of I'm surrounded by really good talent. We get the ball out, bing, bang, boom. And that is certainly enough to have me thinking about leaving for the draft has to at least be on the board, Nathan, but I'm not a thousand percent there. No, I'm not a thousand percent there either. And in fact, if we were marking it down today, I think you'd probably have to mark no. Because there's, if of all the things that would possibly happen for Comcord in the next year, uh, one of the chan- possibilities is he doesn't win this job. So, the, so there, so that makes it much less likely that he goes to the NFL draft next year. The second thing that could happen is that he gets the job, and it isn't what we talked about before with Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, and, and Haskins. That it's not that sort of amazing season. Not that you couldn't have a really good season and still help this team win a national championship, but maybe it's not like a superlative season that pushes him into the top of the draft. And then I think that the third thing is, this is a family that I think is, is pretty savvy about these sorts of things. And you can use the Dwayne Haskins example as one reason why the, the path might be there for him after one year. You could also use it as the cautionary tale of why you wouldn't leave after just one year as a starter, that you would need to come back and get even more experience as a college starter and make yourself a better NFL draft prospect or, or more to the point, prepare yourself to better stay in the NFL because, you know, uh, Dwayne, we don't know how that would have ended for him, but it wasn't like he was on an upward trajectory when, when he tragically passed away, he was trying to hang on and maybe he would have been able to, and maybe something could have worked out for him in the long run. But I think you want to go in. I think you look at people like when Justin Fields went in, now that CJ Stroud's going in, you're seeing them go in with much stronger footing into that uh, opportunity. So the least complicated path for the Ohio State quarterback room is Kyle McCord wins the job, has a really good year and goes to the NFL. And then the starter in 2024 is Devin Brown with competition from Lincoln Kineholds and anybody else. But that... If that's not what happens, then this is more complicated. So there's the two least complicated things are Kyle McCord wins it and leaves after a year, or Devin Brown wins it, and then Devin Brown's the starter for two years. If it's if Kyle McCord wins it but then sticks around, now all of a sudden, okay, now there's not enough room for everybody that you want to have. So we can uh, uh, for now though, we're going to agree 
not Kyle. We're not going to put Kyle McCord in just because there's too many ways where we could see it yeah. not happening. Although we certainly acknowledge the way it could happen. So we won't count him as a combine guy. Let's go to Mike Hall. Here three, Mike Hall. What do you think, Nathan? I would say yes, that he'll go. I think that if he hadn't got hurt last year, we would be talking about him differently right now, maybe than we were. And that's not to say he might not have worn down a little bit in the second half, like a lot of um, second year player, first year starters sometimes do. But they rotate so much on a defensive line anyway that I think they would have maybe you know been able to to utilize his snaps the right way. Just the injuries clearly held him back. Uh, it's something that they are trying to make sure that he managed going into this year and have him ready for the start of the fall. But the level that he played at early last year and it's it's one of those things where I mean we've talked about this before, but it's not just the eye test. It's how everybody behind the scenes was talking about him. And the, this offensive line that is now going off to the NFL draft, where you had two tackles who could go in the first round, like Dewan Jones is really moving. Luke Whipler, who looks like he's very possibly a day two pick, and then these two guys that are you know we've already talked about one, and then Matt Jones, who are are potential NFL prospects in the future. They were having trouble blocking Mike Hall at this time last year. And in the preseason last year, he was kind of blowing up that offensive line from everything we've heard. So that tells you a little bit about the the level of skill he is at. And I think that it, with a healthy full third year, it again, he might just put himself in a position where it just makes too, too much sense to go. I think we can look at Tommy Togiai, interior defensive lineman who had a big third year and went and and we can see examples of that. So I think leaning go on Mike Hall, who was the number 53 overall recruit in the class of 2021, I will agree with. So we'll mark him down. Jordan Hancock, for him to go, Nathan, he would have to be on the Marshawn Lattimore plan of not do much your first two years, a lot of it because of injury. And then year three, it's like, holy moly, out the door. Marshawn Lattimore set the the highest possible bar from that, from a guy who basically didn't do anything for two years at Ohio State to borderline All-American to defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Those were his next two years. You have to think about it. It's going to be hard to come down firmly on Jordan Hancock's gone, but you have to think about it, Nathan. You definitely have to think about it. It's why he's on this list, and it's why I don't. I wouldn't say a hard yes or no for him right now, but I would lean no, only because we literally haven't seen anything and um, when a guy has an injury history, I mean, I think you guys would have probably said if we were doing this exercise before that Lattimore season, that third year, people would have probably said no to Lattimore too, right? It wasn't until he actually went out and did it and blew up that it made it seem like, oh, okay, yeah, now. So and he's a number 11 pick in the draft. So I would still say no, um, but with the full realization that it could very easily be a very uh, similar situation just be again, because of the way they talk about him, the way that they looked at him last year as um, you know, talk about lost seasons. That is as much as we have consternation about the Jack story, at least Jack story got to play. Jack story led this team in sacks, even though it wasn't a lot of sacks, like the lost season that really hurt them last year was Jordan Hancock. And Jackson Smith, the Jigba, obviously, but on the defensive side of the ball, Jordan Hancock. So recruiting profile, Jordan Hancock in the class of 2021, the number 73 overall recruit in the 247 composite. Jordan Hancock, the number 73 overall recruit in the 247 composite, the number five corner. Marshawn Lattimore in the class of 2014, the number 55 overall recruit, the number six corner. 
So we're talking about sort of like the same level of perceived talent. So let's lean no on Jordan Hancock, but we've leaned no on three guys now that we've all decided no on Sawyer, McCord, and Hancock, and maybe we'll go back and say let's at least throw one of them in at the end. But for now, so Marv, goodbye, Marv. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye, Marv. Oh, maximizing Marv. I mean, but that's – look, how far down you are on the 2021 list, even if you pull – Ewers off the top before you get to the guy who is like so obviously gone that we don't even have to like you barely have to say his name you don't even have to say his full name you didn't even say his full first name or the whole name yeah so marv marv's gone we had we we'll have good memories of marv but yes and the only guys like jk johnson was ahead of marv he's already transferred evan Pryor was ahead of marv he's still coming back from an injury it would be he, he's not going to go in three years reed carico has not seen the field yet and then it's marv so Marv is out. Jaden Ballard is the last guy among the top 100 recruits. There's not a situation for him to be able to pop and go unless something extraordinary happens. Ben Chrisman, no. Tyleek Williams is the next guy I think we have to consider. I think it's a somewhat similar discussion to Mike Hall. I think it depends on number of snaps. I think it depends on the upside that you flashed. Do we have to at least talk about Tyleek? Oh, I think he's definitely worth mentioning again because pass rush is so valued, but he clearly sank a little bit. I don't know, sank's not the right word, but he didn't he didn't assert himself up the depth chart last year. You know, after showing the the pass rush promise he did as a freshman, and we talked ad nauseum going into last year about the circumstances of some of that, and then it was always just sort of in the back of the rotation last year. I think it's because he hadn't proven himself yet to be an all-around defensive tackle the way that they needed. Or if even if you still have some things in your game that you need to work on, your your top end has to be my call. And I don't think his top end was was my call. So if if the right amount of growth happens for him in this third year, I think he could go. But I would probably lean no on him right now simply because of uh, – the development that it's still he still needs to have to even have a bigger role at Ohio State. I think that's a good lean no right now as well. And that'll take us down to Denzel Burke, number 199 prospect in the class of 2021. Nathan, we've seen just what he's looked like, the way coaches have talked about him after a tough season last year, at the beginning of last season, as you said, have said many times, felt like it kind of came around at the end of the year. You think Denzel Burke is a three and go guy? I don't think he came in as a three and go guy, but I think he will be. If if what they're saying right now is true of him and the way cornerbacks are valued, I think he might be. Um, did he have so he's a guy that's like always worn sleeves a lot, right? Did he always have these pipes? Like he showed up. There's something going on upper body with him this spring. Like he looks different. So I think that's a good lean. Yes, on a bunch of guys we've leaned no can't be a sure thing, but he flashed enough. And I think when you play as much as he did as a true freshman, it really starts your clock. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like, Hey, you're a true freshman. It's like, you don't even your scout team. Again, you're trying to find the bathroom. You're, you're going to training table and making sure you're eating the right food. And Denzel Burke started his first game ever at Ohio state. So that just accelerates. I think every part of you, Mentally, emotionally, physically, you're relied upon, you're thrown in the fire. It hardens you in a good way to what this is. So he's an old third-year guy at this point. So I think leaning yes on Denzel Burke makes a lot of sense. I think the last guy in this class that we have to talk about, Nathan, because I think you threw him in there, is Jesse Murko as the punter. And 
this past combine, five punters were invited. So you got to be really good to get invited. I don't know. It doesn't feel like to me he's one of the best five punters in college football, but he's an old guy, right? He's an older guy. He's from Australia. I don't know what his own personal clock is, but even if his personal clock is, I need to try to get to the NFL now, I don't know that he'd get a combine invite. What's your read on Jesse? Yeah, I think this is the an important demarcation point to make sure people realize we're talking about getting an invite to the combine as opposed to will they go. Because just because of his age, it would make a lot of sense if he pursued professional opportunities after this third year. But I don't, I really don't, I'll just admit, like, I don't know what gets a punter invited to the combine. Is it like the the most athletic punters get invited to the combine? Is it really just the best five? I didn't pay attention. I had too many other things to worry about. I didn't go watch the punting uh, exhibition at the combine this year. Um, uh, Jim Trussell was there on, on my behalf and texted me. So I, I don't I don't know. I would guess would probably say no, I guess. Yeah, I think we have to say no, and then he can surprise everybody. I think it's flashes of huge leg is what gets you invited to the combine. You know, Cam, we've seen it. Cam Johnston was Ohio State's first Australian punter. Cam Johnston was awesome at Ohio State, and Cam Johnston is 100% an NFL punter. Um, now that makes me want to look up, did Cam Johnston get invited to the Combine? Because, again, that's what we're talking about. Looks like he did get invited to the Combine. So, yes, he did. Jesse Merkel, by the way, up five pounds. Yes. One of the guys who has added some bulk coming into the spring. Oh, good. Bulk is good. Yes. Cam Johnston got an NFL combine invite and then became an NFL punter. So that's, you've got to be that, like how good you have to be. I don't know, probably close to Cam Johnston good. And Cam Johnston was awesome. So, okay. The guys in this class, Nathan, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven yeses on third year guys. And there are one, two, three, four, five other guys that we talked about and decided no. The no's were Jack Sawyer, Kyle McCord, Jordan Hancock, Tyleek Williams, and Jesse Mirko. Do we want to throw like one of those five goes as we're trying to come up with a number? Well, it would be Sawyer, right? I think he would. Or that between like either Sawyer, like Sawyer, because I don't even think we have to, we're trying to come up with a number. Right. So if we say we add up the percent chances of Sawyer, Sawyer, McCord, Hancock, and Tyleek Williams, the chances of one of those four going. If you say, well, one guy's 40%, one guy's 30%, you're probably going to get over 100% adding them up. And then you throw in the punter roll of a dice. I think we probably can throw at least one more to this group. So we're just saying a number. Yeah, we don't have to pin down the person. So we're going to say JT, Emeka, Donovan Jackson, Travion, Mike Hall, Marv, Denzel Burke. Those are yeses. And then one more guy. So that's seven... Firm yeses plus one more. We're going to give ourselves eight guys from the class of 2021. Third-year players will be at the 2024 NFL Combine for Ohio State. When we come back, guys from other classes, we're going to get our number. Could Ohio State set the record? Next on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
All right, Nathan, fourth-year guys, Julian Fleming, number one receiver recruit in his class in 2020. Do we think he's at the combine next year? I think so. I think it would. it's hard for me when you – Julian Fleming might have had a, a three-and-out plan in his head, right, that his injuries just didn't – injuries and opportunity didn't allow him to do that. He was the number three overall recruit in his class. Doesn't seem like a five-year guy to me. No. And when he goes, he has enough talent that he'll get an invite. So I think we're pretty firm on Julian Fleming being at the combine next year. Next guy up in that group, because Paris gone, Jackson gone, CJ gone. G Scott isn't really a conversation for me. Is that a conversation? I think he is a five-year guy at this point, just because of the position switch and it, and having to, yeah, especially, especially the position he switched to. But I think a five-year plan could still make him an intriguing guy the year after. Cody Simon would be next then, number 75 overall recruit. He was talking when we had linebacker interviews a lot about how he feels like fully healthy now for the first time, like in seven years, he had the surgeries. He kind of last year was coming back from them or whatever. And now, okay, could we see this new Cody Simon? Jim Knowles said, I want to maybe take some snaps off of Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. This is really a Tommy Eichenberg conversation when it comes to Cody Simon, because Cody Simon is the backup Mike. He's the starting Mike this spring because Tommy Eichenberg is sitting while he recovers from injuries. You know, I don't know. Enough snaps as a, he won't even be a co-starter, but a part-time player who shows enough that he would go after year four? Or would Cody Simon look and say, listen, man, I'm staying for a fifth year because I think I can start. I can be the starting Mike linebacker in 2024 and really show people what I can do. Yeah, my inclination would be that that second thing makes a lot of sense for him to come back and maybe be the guy in the middle of this defense as a fifth-year player. Okay, so I agree with that. We won't send Cody Simon to the combine. Mookie Cooper has transferred. Luke Whippler is in this draft. Darian Henry Young has transferred to Colby Cowan. Transfer Court Williams, too many injuries. Lathan Ransom, 167. A lot of snaps last year, 167 in his recruiting class. Fourth-year guy. This feels like a go to me because he's just been in and around the ball enough. He's got enough snaps. He's got enough upside plays. Yes, he has a couple downside plays. I think he's going to be on the field a lot this season. I don't know what a fifth year would do for Lathan Ransom. This feels like a go to me. There were downside plays, but he did counter them with big upside plays too. And think about what's been going on. Maybe we're, maybe this is where we shouldn't judge Ohio State by its own standard because it feels like in recent years, there have been a lot of the downside plays in the secondary and not enough of the upside plays, but he does have those. Like, And it's a matter of which of those do you think means more for his future. I would say I think you can replicate the upside plays and reduce the downside plays. And uh, he's someone that I would expect to have, someone I'm fairly optimistic about for this coming year. Like to, to have a fully healthy offseason and to take and to build that momentum into this year off of the experience he has now, I think we could be talking about him having a, a really strong 2023. So I okay. think he would go. We'll I agree that Lathan Ransom will be at the Combine. We'll, we'll, we'll agree on that. Ryan Watts, transfer. Cam Martinez, number 323. As we looked at the first two days of spring practice, Nathan, the safeties, the number one safeties were Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, and Cam Martinez. Cam Martinez in that nickel safety spot where he was the backup last year to Tanner McAllister. We got to figure Sonny Styles is going to mix in there somewhere prominently. We don't know exactly where. I don't know. 
can Cam Martinez play enough and show enough to enter a conversation like this to be at the combine in a year? I'm skeptical. I wouldn't I wouldn't mark that down. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility, I guess. He is intriguing from an athletic standpoint, and but you know his his fit at Ohio State took a while to develop. What is his fit at the NF, in the NFL? But maybe maybe it would be a thing where you could go to the combine and impress people enough that people are you know, someone says, "Well, you're a football player that I want on on my team," and we'll figure out what happens next. But my inclination would be that he may just be looking at a, a longer tenure before that before he figures that out. And the guy who started ahead of him last year, Tanner McAllister, did not get a combine invite. Right. So the two, probably the best players for Ohio State who are going to be eligible for this draft that did not get combine invites are Tanner McAllister and Teron Vincent. So that is a, those were real starters for Ohio State. Good, solid college football players who did not quite reach the level of combine invite. So even if Cam, so Cam Martinez I think is probably naturally more athletic than Tanner McAllister. He wasn't a better football player than Tanner McAllister last year because Tanner McAllister started ahead of him. So if, if Tanner McAllister didn't get there, I don't know. And Tanner McAllister had a long resume at Oklahoma State. So I think it would take a lot for Cam Martinez. So we won't put him there now. Mayan Williams, Nathan, are we putting him in the combine? Yeah. The issue of like, I'll be slightly curious how this shakes out. Trevion in year three, Mayan in year four what we assume will be both of them getting meaningful carries for Ohio State in a backfield that also includes Chip Trainum, Dallin Hayden, and Evan Pryor. Will it work out in a way that both of them will go pro and both of them will get carries? We kind of covered that on Trevion. I do think we see the path, and it's reasonable to assume yes for now. And then for 2024, you'd be in a position for Ohio State where you're like, okay, well, Let's see what Dallin Hayden can do. Maybe Evan Pryor now has gotten healthy again. And again, this was a, a big time recruit when he got here. You add in, you know, the next guy's coming in. So I think I think they'd be fine in the running back room. But I, I think we can imagine how this Mayan Trivion thing would work out. So let's send him to the combine. Mitchell Melton, I think is, I mean, if the Jack pops 1000%, but I don't think there's a reason to talk about a guy who basically has no. not been on the field yet. Maybe in, in an ultimate situation, it could work itself out, but it's, it certainly would seem difficult. Ty Hamilton, number eight, uh, number 762 recruit. His brother, Devon, I think maybe thought about it after year four, did not go, stayed for year five and was a third round pick. So Ty, after year four, He's a good football player. Maybe he'd think about it. And maybe if he has a, an even better year, he could go. But man, did year five work out for Devon Hamilton. So where do we think about Ty right now? I don't have a, a great read on how special I think he is athletically. And that's part of what we're talking about when, you, when you're talking about combine invites a little bit too, right? So uh, a very productive and a guy that I think Ohio State thinks is going to be a big part of this coming defense and maybe a starter in this defense, even when we're talking about people like Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams. But I would probably lean no as far as a combine invite today. I think that makes sense. So then the last guy to talk about is Josh Fryer. Would Josh Fryer pop and go as a first-year starter at left tackle? I doubt it, yeah. but not impossible. Not impossible, but I would doubt it. I, I, he seems more, again, like a five-year guy. And the, the good thing about Ohio State, if, if he hits this year, is solving that problem for two years because it's not just a 2023 issue that they have at left tackle or right tackle. Yeah, no, that's 
be well said of like, hey, man, this really worked. Oh, he's gone. It would be better for them if like, oh, this really worked. Okay, we can take a breath and not have to have another left tackle battle in spring camp. Okay, I mean, so we'll you, say no on Josh Fryer. Yeah. You just look at the guys who stayed around, like Matt Jones sticking around for another year. Like, would he have a better year this year than Matt Jones had last year as a guard? I, I don't know. But tackles are, are, are a okay. different breed. So that's only three fourth-year guys that we're sending. So there's another four that we talked about, but we only sent three, Julian Fleming, Lathan Ransom, and Mayan Williams. Let's go to the fifth-year guys. I have three fifth-year guys down here. I think we can talk about them in a group, Nathan. Cade Stover at tight end, and then Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers at linebacker. I guess they could have thought about going to the NFL after this past year. I can see how all of them have ways they can enhance themselves by staying. When they stayed, I I didn't say, oh my, I can't believe these guys stayed. It all made sense to me, and it all, to me, feels like they'll all be at the Combine in a year. Is that where you are with Stover, Chambers, and Eichenberg? Yes, I think they will all be at the Combine in a year. I think all those guys will be so productive with their positions. Maybe not so much Chambers. Uh, We'll see what happens there reps-wise. But like Eichenberg and Stover have proven themselves to an extent um, that I, I think there already would have been NFL prospects this year, but I think it was prudent for them both to come back um, because I don't know that either one would have been drafted so high that it, it made a lot of sense. And I think both of those guys, um, I, I'm curious if I'm trying to, to like find this out, Are, would both of those guys examples of players who would have thought more about leaving in the past, but because there is a little bit of NIL return that hangs around for you, that it makes it, more palatable to stay for the fifth year because you're not giving up all income to stay for another year. Yeah, possibly. I also think they are three guys who are football players first. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Now, the other thing is when Kate Stover was really rolling last year, there were draft people going like, holy moly. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy does have a package of skills. So we got, you know, there was some baby Gronk stuff that started that was maybe a little bit too much. But he, he among the three of them, I think, has the best package of athletic traits that would really translate to the combine, to the NFL. I think Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are both very good athletes, but they're even better football players than they are athletes, I think. But I think they're all, they all made good decisions. They're all going to be at the combine in the year. So we'll go three for three on those fifth-year guys. There's two sixth-year guys to talk about, Nathan from the recruiting class of 2018 who are still around. It's Matthew Jones and it's Josh Proctor. Is Matthew Jones a slam dunk? He's going he's gonna to be a multi-year starter on the offensive line at Ohio State. Let's put him at the combine. I wouldn't say slam dunk, no. No? I would almost slam say dunk. slam dunk. I guess I'm trying to think what it looks like to be a multi-year starter on the Ohio State offensive line and not get a combine invite. And yeah. he was a top 100 national recruit, which is a long time ago now. But... I know what you're saying, though, also. I mean, he could have an average year. He could be an average starter on on a good team, on a good offense, and not be guaranteed it. Maybe slam dunk's a little bit too strong. But where, how would you describe your feelings on Matt Jones as a combine invite? Another guy that I guess I'm on the, the fence about, I, I, just, I just wonder, a guy who's sticking around this long um, partially may have been – he may have already gotten some feedback this year that inclined. I guess that's that's contradictory though, because the same thing happened with with Eichenberg and Stover and guys who I said would leave. So um, I don't know. I guess I could talk myself into it. I, it's it's compelling when you say like a multi year starter at Ohio State. Like how many of those guys 
don't get combine invites at the end of their careers. Like, cause there's part of me that wants to say, well, like, well, maybe he's a little bit more like Teron Vincent, someone who could be, yeah. you know, a stable guy and just doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't make that cut, doesn't make that list that they put together. Um, but then there's another part of me that would say, I guess what you're saying that there's a certain level that if you're at, you've proven yourself worthy of being a pro prospect and people are going to, want to take a closer look at you. Maybe I, no, okay. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm leaning. Yes. Again, I'll lean. Yes. I'll back off slam dunk, but I think I'll at least lean. Yes. So we'll circle him and we'll send him to the combine. And then Josh Proctor is a more complicated situation because he's been up, he's been down, he's been hurt. He's sort of lost his job. He remains. I think he has a lot of good traits. And in spring football, in the first two practices, he's back there as the starting deep safety. And I, when we think about Sonny Styles, I don't know that Sonny Styles is going to take the starting deep safety job. But could Sonny Styles move around in a way that now Lathan Ransom moves back to deep safety? Or I don't know, but I think so far, Nathan. Looking at Josh Proctor, you have to think there's a chance that he starts this year. And there's another guy we haven't talked about yet. We've talked about transfers, and Jihad Carter's one of them. So Jihad Carter is going to enter this safety mix as well. So we'll get to him in a second. But I don't know. How do you think about Josh Proctor doing enough to get a combine invite? So we already mentioned how like Tanner McAllister had a you know good run at Oklahoma State, solid run. Oklahoma State came to Ohio State, I thought did solid things, was a starter, obviously for a playoff team last year and didn't get a combine invite. And I think to some extent it's because people know what's there athletically that good football player, but from a size standpoint, from an athletic profile standpoint, maybe not like combine special. And yet then someone like Cam Brown, not especially like prolific in terms of production, partially because of the injuries, but he is at the combine. And why? Because I think Ohio State could show what numbers he'd run internally. And the NFL probably wanted to take a look at that, even though he didn't actually run it at the combine, but uh, supposedly we'll run at pro day. So I don't know where Proctor falls in there because we know that there is something there athletically. Whether he gets a chance to actually end up showing it with a lot of snaps this year um, we'll see. Obviously it started that way this spring, but there's guys coming. There's, there's, it's a, it's going to be a really competitive room right up through August. And we don't know yet what is actually going to happen in terms of him having a big role for this team. And I, that could impact whether he goes, I, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm inclined to say no right now. Um, because there, whatever is there athletically hasn't been able to earn him a bigger role. Even last year when he was healthy, he obviously lost his job. So um, it would be my assumption that maybe no, but there's certainly the, all the tools seem to be there if he can ever put it together. I also wonder the second transfer window after spring, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. I don't feel bad talking about a specific guy because if Josh Proctor transferred, we believe my view of that would be there's just a little bit of a crunch at safety with Jihad Carter, Sonny Styles, Cam Martinez, Lathan Ransom, Kai Stokes, yeah. and Josh Proctor is good enough to play. And maybe it's like, listen, man, this is your last shot. You're a sixth-year guy. Your chance to get on the field, show people what you can do, is just not here. And then maybe he's at the Combine, but not representing Ohio State because he's there representing Virginia, you know, because he could go start there. So I think I'll also – I'll agree with you. Let's lean no while leaving open the possibility that Josh Proctor has – possessed and continues to possess some things in terms of length and size and speed that certainly looks like it could 
develop into a package of NFL skills, but we won't quite get there on him right now. Two transfers, Chip Trainum and Jihad Carter. This will be year two for Chip Trainum at Ohio State, year one for Jihad Carter, the safety from Syracuse. We don't know. We may as well lump them in together. We don't need to have a nine-minute conversation about whether Chip Trainum's going to get to the combine. They are certainly in different situations, though, Nathan, because Jihad Carter coming in as a safety is a little bit of a guy maybe directly for a spot kind of thing. Chip Trainum was a running back, came here to be a linebacker. Now he's back to being a running back. He seems like a good football player. I don't know what they're going to do with him. How do we think it might shake out for Carter and Trainum? Should we mark him down for one of the two at the Combine in 24? How should we do this? Carter would be another guy if we were trying to do one of those like catch-alls, like if there's like three or four guys that we're sort of don't know what to think of. Right now, I guess I I think he profiles a little bit McAllister-ish, but maybe, but maybe more athletic, maybe with a higher upside than him. Um, so I don't know if I would if I would pull the trigger on that yet. But if we had like a group, kind of like we did with that one class where you have like four or five guys that were maybe we'd lump them all together and try to get one. Think that that could turn into one. Trainum, I think, is the next Master Teague, who is like this workout kind of freak, this athletic. Uh, like a combine kind of freak, but doesn't actually get invited to the combine. Maybe he just comes and has an awesome pro day and that turns into some kind of a um, invite for him, a, a free agent deal. Uh, that That's what I think is maybe the most realistic look for him. Maybe one of those, like, you know, um, I'm trying to remember who, who the, the somebody out of that 2020 group, the linebacker who, who got kind of like a, a nice big free agent deal out of San Francisco, um, whose name is escaping me right now. I don't know why. Justin Hilliard, Justin Hilliard, like maybe it's something like that could happen for him. Okay. Why don't we split them? Why don't we give one to the transfers and as one, as one more last catch all of everybody, which would bring us to eight, 11, 14, 15, 16. So, you know, we started off with a part of like, I don't know, could we be talking about 18, 20? And I think we did some very reasonable culling of the group here. So I think our 16 is pretty solid. I'm almost at the point, Nathan, where if they don't have at least 16, I would be a little surprised because I think we've, we've leaned toward no on a lot of these guys. We, in the end, we gave ourselves sort of like two extra for the group. But I think maybe like between 16 and 20 is maybe the, the real number that we should expect for the combine in 2024, which again would theoretically be as well as any school has ever been represented. Yeah, again, it tells you what the the high baseline of talent that this team is going to be dealing with, which we already knew. And then I think just how many of those pop at the right positions tells you what the ceiling is for this team. We all think it's it's relatively high regardless. But if we start talking about guys like Kyle McCord and Jordan Hancock being at this combine a year from now, that means great things for Ohio State. So it's harder to find the most combine invites. The most draft picks... Georgia last year set the record with having 15 players drafted. 2004 Ohio State and 2020 LSU had been tied with 14 draft picks. 2016 Ohio State and 2018 Alabama each had 12 draft picks. So if we're talking 16 to 20 combine invites, Nathan, we are then also discussing the idea of could Ohio State in a year set or tie the draft record as well. And that, again, is a, quite a difference between they have eight guys at the combine. I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not a thousand percent sure all eight guys are going to get drafted. It'll probably be like seven, seven or eight draft picks. But by the way, this group is going to have 
like three guys in the top 15, right? And, and maybe four in the first round. And that's the difference of there's depth of talent, but it's sort of the thing you've gone back to. It's, is the talent dispersed to the most important positions? And then also, by the way, if we looked at this right now, okay, Marv's going to be the first. Who's going to be the second Buckeye drafted next year? Marvin's going to go in the top five, maybe the top three, maybe the top one. But then you look at JT, Emeka. It's one of those two, I think. Unless it's, unless, unless it's Kyle McCord. But I think it's I think it's it's Tua Maloa. Unless Kyle McCord goes crazy. Yeah. But I think it's if you're betting right now, it's Tua Maloa or Ibuka. Which is, you know, a year ago if we were doing this and we said CJ Paris Jackson. Again, the Jackson year got screwed up, but he, the combine didn't. No. No. They have a chance. I have to double check this. We are sitting here as we do this now, and I will do this before the draft. They have a chance to have the first quarterback, the first tackle, and the first receiver drafted. And I want to look and see if that's ever happened because those are the three most important positions on offense. And the NFL might say, Ohio State had the best ones last year, at least the ones who were eligible for the draft, which would be quite a thing. So there's a depth for next year that maybe there's not quite the same top end. But it also, it's a nice reminder, Nathan, this was not in vain. This was not an exercise in vanity. Hey, let's just talk about the combine. There's something to this. And I think the thing in the end is like, how does this happen? Well, one of the ways it happens is you have a bunch of third-year guys pop, and that starts with a very good recruiting class, which this team has in the class of 2021. They had the second-best class in the country. They had 14 guys in the top 100. That's a big deal. You've laid that down, and the guys popping is not unreasonable. And then you have a couple guys stick around, and it's this thing sort of with the super seniors. It's a little bit of a COVID remnant, but it's just the NIL. There's enough things happening here. And when you throw in... Matthew Jones, Cade Stover, Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, who all could reasonably be eligible for this draft, and they stick around, you can find teams now in this modern era, Nathan, where the a couple of the right guys staying really enhances a lot of stuff. So I do think for Ohio State in the 2023 season, they're going to have a balance of those things. They're going to have some NFL-ready players who decided to remain at Ohio State, and they're going to have some third-year guys who are clearly going to be ready for the NFL who are here and getting ready to leave. And in a lot of ways, that's part of the formula to winning. And Ohio State at least has that part of the formula down, I think. Well, I mean, look at what Georgia did the last couple of years, I think, and especially the the second year. I think you saw some of this formula could be replicable here where you have, even though you had a mass exodus of guys to the NFL, you still had enough of that nucleus come back. What I think is unclear for Ohio State at this moment, we're talking on you know early March, mid-March, those second-year guys, guys who aren't NFL prospects yet, they can't go to the NFL. So we're talking about C.J. Hicks. We're talking about Sonny Styles, We're talking about a couple other guys, Kenyatta Jackson. Like, how many of those guys break through and really make this potentially a special season? Like, because if they turn out to be high-caliber players already, they push somebody else aside or just become involved enough that it, it raises a level of play here. Because that's the other thing that Georgia had last year was guys who are still coming back this another year but we're big parts of that defense, especially last year, and or 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 even on the offense too. All right, sixteen to twenty, sixteen to twenty. NFL Combine invites for Ohio State next year. When we come back. We're going to do quick. Who's going to be the third best team in the Big Ten in twenty twenty three? And then we'll do what you watch and what you eat and what you think, and we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Lamarice and Nathan Baird back. Nathan, I want to just check in on this because it's something I think to plant a tiny seed on, and we have plenty of time to get to it in greater detail. 
I uh, go listen to the College Football Survivor Show about my playoff picks for 2023. We'll talk about this more over the course of the next several months. I think Ohio State and Michigan, talent, coaching, structure, everything that goes into being a good team will be two of the four best teams in college football in 2023. Does that mean both will make the playoff? Well, you got to thread the needle. You got to think about path. You got to think about all the other things that happen in the other conferences. If Clemson hadn't lost and USC hadn't lost, you wouldn't have had two Big Ten teams in this year. So I don't know about all that. I think they'll be two of the four best teams. So who's going to be the third best team in the Big Ten? And when you look at Bill Connolly's rankings, the SP Plus preseason rankings, which talk about returning talent, which talk about recruiting rankings, right now, Ohio State's two, Michigan's three, Penn State is five, and Wisconsin is 25, Nathan. And also Notre Dame is in there at 15. That's another team on Ohio State's schedule. But this is really a Big Ten discussion. I'm intrigued by where both Penn State and Wisconsin are right now. I think it's easy for some people to overlook Penn State's season a year ago when they had two losses, both to playoff teams. You add in Drew Aller as the starting quarterback. You add in the fact that Penn State always has pretty good skill guys. Their left tackle, who's an NFL caliber left tackle, decided to stay. Their defense was good last year. They returned some important guys there, including Manny Diaz as a second-year defensive coordinator. Nathan, we'll talk about these teams briefly individually. I think it's possible Penn State is very good in 2023. And I think if we were having the 12-team playoff world in 2023 instead of 2024, I think we'd be talking more about Penn State because all of a sudden it's very easy to think about three Big Ten teams in the playoffs. It's impossible to think about it right now. And Michigan and Penn State, uh, Michigan and Ohio State are standing in Penn State's way. But how good do you think Penn State might be? I think they might be pretty good. I think they could be at least as good as they were last year when they were a you know, a top 10-ish team, a, um, you know, a, a high-caliber team last year, and Ohio State found that out firsthand going in there last year and, and being fortunate to come out with a win. You know, uh, I, I think that a lot of it depends, though, on if the Drew Aller thing is ready and, and hits this fall. But the, I mean that in terms of what the upside really is, because when you look at what he is physically, when you look at what he did, uh, what he profiles as coming in, I just, it would be, a step forward for that offense, I think, to get out of the, you know, productive, solid players. You know, someone like Sean Clifford, you can argue whether that was a hindrance to them or whether he was a little bit underrated just because he did win games and, and make things happen. But you can see where someone like Drew Allar raises the capacity for that program if it if it's ready this fall. I might hold back, get back to me when he's a second-year starter in 2024. But I do think Penn State can be interesting. And it's and we talked about this on the Survivor Show, Nathan. It, it is just different than the situation in the SEC because it's possible that the SEC at times has three of the four best, three of the six best, three of the five best teams in college football, but they're not all in the same division. Because usually when you have that conversation, like right, Georgia and Alabama are in opposite divisions. So that's like, okay, well, who would you throw in as a third team? Well, probably LSU is usually the team that would get thrown into that mix. Maybe Tennessee in the right circumstance. Maybe if Florida gets it back and rises up. But Alabama and, and Georgia are on opposite sides. So you're never talking about not only are three of the top five teams in college football in the same conference, but in the same division. Whether you can't, you're picking one of the three to get to the conference championship game. At least as it remains structured in the Big Ten right now, we certainly believe they will go to a 
divisionless format in 2024 and you open up this possibility. But for right now, Nathan, man, this is complicated. This is absolutely complicated. And the Big Ten threaded the needle last year on getting two teams in. There's a possibility that they blow each other up this season and that they go one and one against each other. And Shahan brought this up on the show, you know, whatever it is, Ohio State beats Michigan, Michigan beats Penn State, and Penn State beats Ohio State, and they're all one and one. Some tiebreaker sends somebody to the Big Ten championship game, but they all kind of manage to drag each other down, Nathan. And it's maybe you would look and say, I don't think there's any doubt these are three of the five best teams, but we don't know what to do. So this is great opportunity for the Big Ten. I think it should be celebration. But hey, this conference is this conference is getting better. Michigan's better. Welcome. Congratulations, everybody. Michigan's really good. How do you like it? Right? The Big Ten stinks. Maybe he's good at the Big Ten stinks. Penn State might be coming. I I don't know, Nathan. It's it's difficult to think about. Do you think it's more likely that it works out in a way that is beneficial to the Big Ten or more likely that it works out in a way that is not beneficial to the Big Ten if these three teams are all really good? Well, we I don't know if we can fully have the discussion without then talking about Wisconsin. Ohio State has to play at Wisconsin. If we really think Wisconsin's going to be at a level of this, roughly the same level that Penn State might be at, then that complicates things because that's that's I don't remember off the top of my head whether Michigan or Penn State either one play Wisconsin this coming year or certainly play them on the road. Um, so I, I think that's a, a complicating factor here, and. I think if, if I were thinking about it today, I still have enough questions about, you know, uh, whether Ohio State proves that its defense takes that next step and doesn't have the same holes in the secondary. And I'm I'm intrigued enough by Penn State that it makes me think there's there's definitely a possibility that it, it turns into a fiasco. And instead of, you know, we, we look at this come in December as, well, we think the Big Ten East might have had like three of the top 10 teams in the country and none of them are going to the playoffs. Yeah, that could be disappointing. I think it's I think it'll work out fine, but you have to be on alert for what could go wrong. So Wisconsin's crossovers with the East are Rutgers, Indiana, and Ohio State. So Ohio State's the only team they play. And I am fascinated to see what this new look version of Wisconsin will be because I think they retain their defensive identity in a lot of ways. They lost Nick Herbig, right? They always they lose some guys to the NFL, but I, I don't think that's going to go away when Luke Fickle's your head coach. You're not going to lose your defensive identity. I don't think they're going to lose their offensive line run game identity. Braylon Allen is still there. I still think he has a chance to be one of the best running backs in college football, and he seems all in on what Luke Fickle's doing, but they've completely changed their passing style. To bring in Phil Longo as an offensive coordinator, They've brought in multiple transfer quarterbacks. It's probably going to be Tanner Mordecai, who started his career at Oklahoma, then went to SMU and put up big numbers there. And Nathan, I think we have a chance to see a Wisconsin we've never seen. And I don't know if it's the end of the noodle arms at Wisconsin. I might stop calling them noodle arms because I don't want Luke to punch me in the throat. But if you can take the best of what Wisconsin has been and fix the thing that has been holding Wisconsin back, in this entire era of success, Nathan, what could that be? And maybe it's not instantaneous, but it's not just the quarterback. It's the play caller and the offensive identity that Luke Fickle has brought to Madison with a veteran quarterback. This could be quick. And Shahan and I, a couple weeks ago, 
did like who could be the TCU style dark horse in college football this year. And Shahan picked Wisconsin because what did TCU do last year? First year head coach, they made the college football playoff. They wanted to win a lot of close games, but they enhanced what they had and they added some stuff. You know, I'm not trying to freak Ohio State fans out be like, well, get ready for eight and four. Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. I don't know how Ohio State wins those games. That's not where I am. I just think they're going to have a tough schedule because they're playing some good teams. I think Wisconsin might be rather good, Nathan, or do you think it'll take more time that Luke won't flip it like that in year one? Well, but this is where it's important to talk about East versus West because there isn't a log jam in the West. Like, you know, Purdue won that division last year in, in kind of a, a messy year, but they're in transition now, new head coach, new quarterback, transfer quarterback coming in for them. Uh, you know, Iowa is what Iowa is right now. Nebraska, uh, you know, they've got a new coach coming in and Matt Rule who's got upside, but that seems like a certainly a longer turnaround than Wisconsin would have to be dealing with. Um, Northwestern, Illinois is intriguing, but like you definitely still see where Nebraska might be be day one the team that people look at and say that's who should win this division next year uh minnesota i guess we should also mix it's 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 an intriguing like middle and uh, but i i would probably put wisconsin on top of that just because of fickle because of bringing in a quarterback the, the caliber of mordecai and again just to give people some concept of this so you know people know i like to look more like the efficiency numbers the averages he was like he was 24th last year in, in quarterback efficiency. That puts him in the same category as I mean, here's some names for you. Will Levis right behind him, Michael Penix Jr. right behind him, JJ McCarthy a couple spots ahead of him. So like one of the top twenty-five quarterbacks in college football, and that may not sound like a lot, but there have been very few times in Big Ten history in the last history ever like where we've talked about how many top twenty-five quarterbacks might be in the Big Ten. And there might be like four or five next year and just based on those kind of numbers. And uh, so that means something. It's not just that they brought in, you know, Graham Mertz was always more a theory like Mordecai. It's been in practice. Like you've seen him go on a field Mm -hmm. and play at that level uh, in a, in a consistent way. So that alone makes me very intrigued. And if Wisconsin didn't have to play Ohio state, then uh, like if they were maybe playing Penn state as their crossover, that would really be interesting for this year because then they would only have to beat you get to Indianapolis and you beat one of Ohio State or Michigan at the end of a year and now you've done something for yourself. They would have to do it they'd have to do some combination of two of those things, but nobody in the East is crying about that because they have to do it too. So I don't even know how we judge it. I don't I don't want this to be only a schedule, an East West discussion, but who do you think then would give Ohio State a better game this year? So the Penn State games in Columbus, the Wisconsin games in Madison I think it's a decent way to judge who the third best team in the Big Ten is, is who will give Ohio State a better game. Who do you think it'll be this year, Nathan? I I still think Penn State. I still just have more confidence in the talent there top to bottom. They recruit at a more Ohio State level or have. And again, we can just judge by what we saw last year. And I know one game was in Columbus and one game was at Penn State, but there was no comparison really competitively between those programs. We're only a year removed from that. So I have respect for Fickle and what he's going to eventually do there long-term. And I know they've got a new quarterback coming in, as we just talked about, but my, my inclination is still that like one through 22 Penn state's still better positioned to compete with Ohio state. The tough thing for me is I think Braylon Allen's the best skill guy on those two teams. I think Tanner Mordecai with the experience that you talked about is like, who, which quarterback would you take? 
for this season, Drew Allard, Tanner Mordecai. Fair. Maybe just you take the veteran. And then when I think about dialing it up as an offensive coordinator to try to score some points against Ohio State, I think I'd take Phil Longo over Mike Yersich, Wisconsin over Penn State. But I agree with what you said, depth yeah. of talent across the board, all those other things. So I I'm might slightly lean Wisconsin. And then for Ohio State, it's at Madison instead of home, which is not yeah. really the discussion we're having here. It's really who's the better team, Wisconsin or Penn State. But bottom line is, I think both might be very good. And then 24, I just really am looking forward to 2024 when we can have these kind of discussions and we're talking about a 12-team playoff. And if we were talking about a 12-team playoff right now, I think the, I think the Big Ten would have four legitimate candidates and then also have paths where you could see four Big Ten teams in the playoff and that the quality and opportunity would both be there, that it wouldn't be a ridiculous discussion, Nathan. Yeah, and then that doesn't even bring into a situation where if there were, uh, you know, a team that was like just sub Minnesota or just sub Wisconsin, but could pull away from the rest of the the West. So like, what if there were two 10 win teams coming out of the West? Like you start to, it, it really gets interesting at some point for what could happen for the Big Ten in the future here. Right now, it's, it, you see why this is maybe coming to an end for the Big Ten because of this, all this crashing together could work against it and if 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 this were actually even if this still existed if the east west still existed in the 12 team i think you could see how this could crash together and be not beneficial going to an open schedule and and uh not having these teams blocking each other might really help the big 10 raise that profile starting in 2024 well but it, but in the 12 team playoff there are going to be two and three lost teams making the playoff so we right. like penn state last year blocked by ohio state at michigan 10 and 2 no doubt about it a playoff team like that kind of circumstance. Yeah. Okay, let's get to what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking, because we got to get out of here in a little bit. Let's start with thinking. Do you have a thing you're thinking about, like a you big go, thinking thing, yeah. or do you not have no, much of ahead. a thinking go thing? Go first. Go first. So, so this we're recording this on Friday as we get ahead. So you're listening to this Monday. So this is way over after this happened. But again, my daughter is at Northwestern as a freshman this year. And she, as we record this, is currently in line to get tickets for the Northwestern and the Big Ten tournament. And they're waiting in a line and they got there early and they're they're all excited to be excited about sports there. So it makes me think about this world where, because there's been a lot of stuff there of, should you try to get tickets in an online lottery? Should you have to camp out and do things? And I do think even in a digital world, there are times when you're trying to gauge commitment of people and we want the most dedicated committed people to get the opportunity at this limited quantity of things. So I'm trying to figure out in the modern age does it make sense to have people standing in a line for hours upon hours upon hours in a in a way to gauge commitment or it's like we just you just click a button online what are we doing because they've had a lot of issues with like you click a button and the site crashes trying to get the tickets online and it's not yeah. It's like, oh, we were all online at the same time, and then it was who in a nanosecond hit the button. But with the Taylor Swift tickets and all that stuff, if you said line up for Taylor Swift tickets, it's like, well, if you got in line four days early, you were guaranteed a ticket. Is that – where should we be, Nathan? I'm thinking it. I haven't decided it. But there's a part of me that thinks commitment matters, and that's a better way to do it than just all the digital randomness that often seems to be the way we lean now. Well, to me, it's not just commitment. It's This is part of the experience. We do so many things now that take the human experience out of things and turn it over to the robots. And sometimes I'm in favor of that, things being more efficient. But this is one of those times where I think, and listen, if you get 
left on the outside of getting tickets and you waited in line for however many hours and didn't get anything, you'll disagree with this. You won't have the same positive memory. But for the people who do get tickets, I think it like enhances the memory. It's like, well, we waited in line for eight hours and we were like, there were only like eight people behind us that got tickets. We were one of the last people, but that's what, you know, we, that was part of the full experience. I remember going to see, um, I think it was when they re-released the, the re- like the remastered Star Wars. They put out the original trilogy and they were being re-released. And I was going up to Central Illinois. There was a theater in Hoopston, Illinois, uh, home of home of Admata, Admata, um, that was I've like, been. yeah, had like a world class sound system whatever reason like there was this old theater there a guy who grew up in hoopston bought it and like put this awesome sound system in it so we would sometimes go up there um to to see movies like that and i remember getting there early standing in line there was a cutoff at some point but you had to be in line to get tickets so then you're there early by a couple of hours and then like this 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 sort of vibe just kind of starts building in there with all these other dorks and nerds and and weirdos and uh, I, the thing that I, I like, I remember this to this day. We're talking about this has been like 20 years ago, but they were you're showing this thing before the movie that was like a uh, star. Like it was a bunch of trivia things that we just kind of cycled through. And one of them was like uh, high school yearbook photos of, of celebrities that would filter through there. And one of them was Tim Robbins. And it was this photo of him with like in a suit with this huge Afro. And it showed like several times. So like as people knew that the showtime was coming up, we're talking about like seconds before the movie's supposed to start, but it, they were showing those, those, those trivia things and stuff in the same order every time it was just cycling through. So as the last one came around, somebody like yells out like one more time. Cause then like right before the last Tim Robbins showed up and everybody was like, yeah, cause it was just such a funny photo. So like, but like, that's part of the experience now. Like I remember that more than I remember almost like watching the movie because that's part of the experience. So uh, I think that we need to not remove all human interaction from everything we do in the sake of efficiency, maybe especially when it's like when it's something lower stakes, like whether you get into a game or a, a movie, like it's a bummer if you don't, but it's like, it's not like things aren't like writing on that. It's just sort of, Oh, I didn't get in. Um, and maybe you can buy your way in some other way if you've got the right cash or whatever. So I think in those cases I would lean towards, let's keep the human interaction. I, I think that's, Probably right. You want to thread the needle of like, you don't want to make people sleep outside for four days necessarily. But, and then in the end, you get, you wind up giving the things or giving the opportunities to the people who care about it the most. And I think that's good for everybody. All right. We have to scoot a little bit. Let's do the thing that you have the best thing for. Is it thinking? Is it eating? Is it watching? What are you most enamored with right so it's, now? It's eating. My, um, my family's coming this weekend. My mom asked if there was anything she wanted me to cook this weekend. And I think I'm going to get, one of my favorite uh, dishes from my youth, which is Swiss steak. My mom makes really good Swiss steak, which if people haven't had it, it's like, you know, a steak in, or like a, um, in a, like tomatoey cream sauce, uh, just very tender. And you eat it with like mashed potatoes and stuff, just for your like down home cooking. I'm just looking forward to having some down home cooking from my mom this weekend. Do you, how does your mom acquire the beef, the meat that she uses, the steak that she uses for something like that? Well, you know, we live pretty rural, so you can just like go out back and, Bop a cow on the head, and no, you just go to the grocery store. No, well, because like my my wife's family is rural Iowa, and when her parents come, they bring us meat mm. in a cooler that is like her uncle's meat, that is like her uncle's cattle 
that they then take in and it's like, hey, here's some free meat. So I didn't know if you had a free meat connection. We don't have a free meat connection, but my family, when I was growing up, we had a big like uh, block freezer in the, what I remember they're calling like a chest freezer in the basement. And they would occasionally like buy a side or half side of beef or whatever. So we would have steaks and ground beef and things like this, a variety of things that we would eat over the next couple of years. Yeah, we had one in our basement and it stopped working. And for like four or five days, it was like, what's that weird smell in our house? And then we realized what the weird smell was in our house. And it Ooh. was the freezer, the deep freezer in the basement that had stopped working. And all that free meat was not so good anymore. So be careful. Check on your freezers. All right. So last thing, I will try to squeeze this in. I got to go in a second. I saw cocaine bear. <laughs> And I know what it's supposed to be, but I thought it was not as good of what it's supposed to be as it could have been, right? It's supposed to be, a, it's a ridiculous thing. But I thought the ridiculousness wasn't good enough. And like, there are some kind of famous people in it, but there's definitely a segment where there's this crazy bear that is dangerous and there's these two kids and it seems like the bear possibly, maybe, certainly has taken one of the kids and Carrie Russell is that kid's mom. And I really like Carrie, Carrie Russell. Russell's I like the Americans. It? I like Ooh. Felicity. Carrie yeah. Russell's in it. Wow. And Carrie Russell's sort of like, huh, the bear took my kid. Huh, that's unfortunate. I was like, why aren't you screaming? A cocaine-fueled bear has dragged off your daughter into the woods. You're, she's presumed eaten. Go watch the movie. Find out if she is eaten or not. But Carrie Russell is way too chill the whole time about her daughter possibly being eaten by a bear. And I have seen her be a great actress. And I thought that part of it, if you're going to be a ridiculous movie, like be hysterical, be ridiculous. But don't be like, oh man, this bear seems very dangerous. Eh, eh my kid kind of deserved it. I'm probably going to watch it. I don't think I'm going to go watch it at the theater. I'll probably wait until this is a TV experience, but um, I'm probably going to give it a look at some point. So I, I watched it at the Combine when I was like, I, I can't think about football anymore. And I went one night like after I had interviewed all day and written all day and podcasted all day. And it was like sitting in my hotel room and I was like, I'm going to see Cocaine Bear. And then I was like, yeah, it's fine. But if you're going to do it, be, like if you're going to be ridiculous, be ridiculous. Buckeye talk. Like everybody's like, oh, this kind of thing. It's like I get why people like these kind of movies, but I almost thought I didn't go far enough. Okay. That's our Cocaine Bear review. We're not talking about the Oscars because we're recording this on Friday. They happened over the weekend, and now you're listening to it on Monday. Good luck to everything everywhere all over the place or whatever. We already talked about that on this podcast. Maybe it won. Maybe it didn't. It's a football show. We have more stuff coming this week. I'm going to talk a little bit about basketball and the NCAA tournament. We're going to get the textures involved in that. We're going to probably talk about linebackers at some point. We have other good stuff planned. Make sure you're reading Cleveland.com slash OSU. For now. That was our version of Monday Madness. And for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>